message, and I am super glad you're here. Mark Lynn, nice haircut uh, right there. Why don't you stand up for your new haircut? Go ahead and stand up, bro. Go ahead and stand up. Look at that, man. He looks good, doesn't he? Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, that's real nice, man. All right. <laughs> what else can we clap for this morning, right? Oh, that's good. <laughs> All right, glad that y'all are here. Um, so let me, um, let me pray for us as we dive in this morning because let me just go ahead and let you know in advance. I'm going to share a message. Listen, if you've been in church for more than 10 years, you've probably heard every message that could ever be preached, or at least if you went to a good church, right? So I'm going to share a message this morning that you've probably heard before, um, and, but I, I feel, um, as I was even last Sunday praying this week, I felt the urgency of, of God his heart, you know how I mean, there's things you talk about and think about and pray into, and, and as you do, like you you recognize God's heart's really connected in a, in a special way in that season, that moment into it. And so that's this word this morning. And so again, I'm going to share a message, and you're going to go. I could you you probably could probably share this with your kids and feel confident about it. Uh, but but this morning, as we dive in, what I'm praying is that God would take this message, which I think and believe is ultimately the foundation for effective Christian living. Effective Christian living that I believe all of us know about and very few are actually experiencing and expressing with, with our lives. And, and, and I feel the tension in my own heart in it. And so as I pray, I'm not praying as one praying at you. I'm one who's praying with you in this. Is that okay with you guys? All right, let me pray for us, and uh, and then we'll dive in. Jesus, uh, we thank you for worship. We thank you this morning, Father, for your Father's heart. We thank you for the way that you move in our lives. We praise you for the way that you love us and you fill our valleys, Father God, that you come and move in our lives. And and we praise you for all of that, Father God. But we praise you, Jesus, that that, uh, our salvation, God, our relationship with you is not just for us, although it is fully for us, God, but it's for us and for you and for the world around us. That's what we talk about here with the serving piece, Jesus. Like, you know, we know that you've called us in, in these areas to go and to give you away in these places. And I just pray this morning as we talk about this real foundational truth about relationship with you, I, I'm just asking for grace, Lord, that you would pour something out supernatural that would take us from a place of slumber to a place of awakening. A place, God, where there's death in our life without us even really knowing it, and that you would awaken us to, to the fullness of life found in Jesus. And that you would take us from darkness this morning into radiant light. We need you to do this, Jesus. Amen. Last week, Scott Crawford, if you don't know, he's our the associate pastor here at Vintage. He spoke and um, and he focused part of his energy and time on on two men that we read it, that you maybe have read about from the past called a guy named Reese Howell for a book called The Intercessor. And then a guy named George Mueller, uh, who was used of God to build these orphanages and then came over to the States and just led lots of people to Jesus. Right. And and we we listened to their stories and they're really cool stories. 
Right. Remember last week, the stories of faith and the stories of believing God and the stories of waking up with no food and they just prayed. And then they called the couple thousand, whatever, a couple hundred, couple thousand kids down, whatever, 10,000, whatever it is. Right. You didn't do anything. Right. I don't remember the numbers. Sorry. And they bring him down to the table. There are 50,000 kids. No, they bring him to the stadium there. Right. No, they bring him down, sit him at the table, say, let's thank God for the food he's provided. And there's no food. Right. And then we listen and we're like, oh. What's going to happen next? Is Jesus going to show up? And then he did, right? All of a sudden, knock on the door, and there was bread, and the knock on the door, and there was milk. We're like, oh, Jesus, yay! Ooh, ah, God's so great. Woo, we love the stories. Like, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you love when people, listen, you love going on Facebook and reading cool stories of something that God did, right? You love reading stories. You love hearing stories. Because here's the thing. We are a people who have been created by God to love fruit. We love to eat it, and we love to experience it in the lives of people. And we love hearing stories. We love, listen, when we tell a story about praying and God healing someone, what happens inside of your heart? Something goes, oh, like that, doesn't it? Like I tell you when I'm in college and I lay hands on a guy and his right leg grows about three inches. And I go, oh, and he jumps up and down, up and down and starts bending over and praising God. And in this nice Presbyterian church wearing a three-piece suit. That's a cool story. It's great stuff. We love the stories of fruit that's produced in people's lives. We love when people come to, listen, they're like, I used to be a sinner. I was doing so much drugs and sex and rock and roll. And then I found Jesus and now I live in the, yeah, right? We love those stories. How many of you lament not having a testimony like that? I wish I had one of those drug drug testimonies in my life, right? Because we just want to go tell people, I was a hellion and Jesus saved me, right? We love stories of fruit. And the thing when I read scriptures, I find that, man, Jesus loves fruit also. And the caveat to him loving fruit is this. He also expects it in your life. He expects it in my life. And then when we live in our culture Right. That that glorifies individuals and individual rights. I tell you, someone expects something from you. You're like, what are you about to say? I like the other part. What's the expectation? What do you want from me? You may not act just like that, but it's not your heart. You are. And so in this moment, right, Jesus believes and wants fruit. He loves fruit. But then in the lives of his children, his followers, his believers, then. There's also the expectation that fruit that looks like Jesus' fruit is expressed in your life. The easiest way to look at it is right here behind me. It's called the fruit of God's Spirit, <laughs> right? That in our lives, the expectation of Jesus is that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control are being produced. They are being expressed and produced in our lives. We read the stories of Reese Howells and George Miller, and we there's a the fruit of, of faith for for miracles and for the miraculous and this there's the fruit of, of salvation, right? Of God moving in power, right? We and there's this expectation and fruit. And so so in Jesus' life, the real clear expectation is that he says, I would I love fruit and I expect it, and you could even say he demands it. 
And so that should then make us go, hmm, I wonder if my life is producing Jesus fruit. Right? Is my life a life that's producing Jesus fruit? And my life is fruit being produced and expressed so that when people are around me, like I'm at the softball fields, and I got all these coaches and players around me, and I'm thinking to myself, are they experiencing the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? When they tell me they're struggling, are they producing, am I, are they experiencing the fruit of faith in my life to pray for them unashamedly in the name, in the name of Jesus, right? Everywhere that I go, is there a, is fruit being produced in my life? Turn your Bible to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I'm starting in verse 1, going to verse 9. You can look on the screen if you do not have your Bibles. If your person neighbor does not have a Bible, just give them yours forever. No, I'm just kidding. And let them look on if they want to. Here we go. There were some. So look, Luke 11, remember, was the Lord's Prayer. We looked at a couple of weeks ago in the Lord's Prayer. And then, and then being a people of prayer. And then Luke chapter 12 would have been like the seek first the kingdom of God. And all of these things shall be added unto you. Right? Seek the people. And then Luke 13, so Jesus now speaking to his disciples. says, there were some present at that very time who told them about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent or turn from your sin and turn to me, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable in connection to this. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure or um, fertilizer. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not then you can cut it down. So there's, listen, there are lots and lots of directions you can go in this story. Again, we're focusing on fruit this morning, which is what you see in verse 6 through 9. But get the picture here in verses 1 through 5. In this moment, you have these probably good, devout Jews, maybe some Pharisees who were coming to Jesus. And, and the theology of Jews in the day was this. When a tragedy happens because there was some grievous sin in that person's life. And so he's saying here, hey, Galileans, right, these Galileans who were opposing Rome. Well, listen, you can't have political unrest. And so Pilate had them killed, mingled their blood. He basically had them murdered, right? And so, and so these guys say, well, it was because of their terrible sin. God did that to them. And Jesus goes, no, no, that's not the reason. That's bad theology. Then he goes down and says, well, then Jesus says, hey, what about that senseless tragedy where that tower fell on 18 people? Guess what? It wasn't their sin that killed them either. Bad things happen to people. 
Because the fact is in the story he's getting at is saying, listen, in verse 3 and 5, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And the idea is very simple in the moment. He's saying, listen, all of you are sinners. There's no gradation, there's no gradation of Oh, really bad sinners. And oh, okay, sinners over here, right? He's saying, all, he's, he's saying all of you, just bunching them all up, all of you are sinners. And all of you are going to perish. And some of you, listen, bad things are going to happen to good people and good things are going to happen to bad people. It's just the way that it is in the fallen world in which we live. But in this scenario, it's bad theology to think that their sin killed them. I want you to recognize You're all sinners. And then he comes down in verse 6 through 9, and he tells this parable about a fruit tree. Now, you've got to recognize fruit tree analogies are rampant throughout the Old Testament and usually represent Israel. So when he says this fig tree, it would equal Israel, the people of God, the house of God. Right? People of God. So he's coming and saying, listen, Israel... You are like a fig tree that's not bearing any fruit. And unless you repent, turn away from this life not focused on me, unless you repent and turn to me, then you are going to perish as a fruitless tree. And they're all listening going, ouch, because Jesus loves fruit And he expects fruit, and he's saying very clearly here in the life of his people that he demands fruit in their lives, Jesus' fruit. Like when I say the fruit of Jesus, do you have an idea of what I'm talking about? Like you've all read the life of Jesus and the things that were kind of like the George Mueller and Reese Howells of, of his life and these moments of breakthrough and obedience and crazy stuff and neat stuff and salvation stuff and evangelism stuff and miracle stuff and prophetic stuff, right? All those Jesus stuff, the Jesus fruit. Do we all know what I'm talking about? Raise your hands, please. Have an idea of at least a couple of things maybe of those. Okay, thank you. And so, so we had this idea of like Jesus fruit here. And so Jesus is coming and saying, I, I, I love it, I expect it, and I demand it. And they're going, uh. he says, unless you repent, you too shall perish in your sin, just like every other sinner in Jerusalem. And so in the moment, then we stop and go, oh, Jesus told this story in the good book. It's in red letters. So Jesus said it right. And so if Jesus said it, then I guess it's pretty important and he actually believed it into conviction of his heart so i guess i need to take this very personally and take it deep to heart in my life of expressing fruit so bearing fruit vital to jesus and in our lives then we begin to ask this question okay i'm supposed to to bear fruit but i would say this morning that you can't produce fruit You can't. Jesus expects it. You can't produce it. Man, we're in a quandary, right? He expects something that you can't produce. What's the story here? Jesus, that's really unfair, some of us may say. So in this moment, we sit here and say, as a foundation of our Christian life, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, then Jesus is sitting here saying, I'm expecting fruit because I love it and I demand it. And you go, and you should go, 
okay, what do we do now, Jesus? Where do we go? So in this story this morning, again, thinking of the fruit of like a Reese Howells, of a George Mueller, thinking of the fruit of people that you respect and look up to, thinking of the fruit of Jesus, I'm going to name simple, three simple things this morning we take from Scripture that I believe speak to this foundation of your life of you producing fruit in this world. The first thing is that it begins with repentance. It begins with repentance. We just saw that unless you repent, all likewise will perish. He's saying unless you repent, unless you, listen, listen, unless you turn away from the direction that you're going, focus on Jesus and begin a forward journey with him, right, then you will perish. So there's this moment, listen, there's this moment for each of us, and it's not just a moment 35 years ago when I prayed the sinner's prayer. It's in every moment, every day saying, Jesus, I am tempted to be drawn away from you, so I repent again and again is a lifestyle before you that, Jesus, I am now turning away from this that's trying to draw my attention. I'm focusing on you. I'm giving myself to you. And I'm now walking with you. And in this moment, that's where fruit begins to be happened. Because all of a sudden, Jesus says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Which the opposite would be, if you do repent, you will not perish and you will have life. And so in this story, we see this. And I want you to think, rich young ruler. I want you to think rich young ruler because he's just like most of us. He's a good religious guy. He's a good churchgoer. He was probably involved in small groups and probably helped out at Abney even back in the day, right? That's probably what he did. He was a good follower of Yahweh. He says everything, he even said, everything in the law I have done since I was a child. He's a good doer of religious things. And Jesus looks at him and sees where his heart has not bowed down to the leadership and the lordship of Jesus in the area of finances, in the area of money, because he lived in fear of not having it. And Jesus says, okay, then all that's great. Then you need to go sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor And then you can enter into my kingdom. Jesus does this thing that he does with his Jesus heavenly microscope and looks into the heart of human beings and sees the area with a lack of repentance, of turning away. And in this man, it was a fear, the fear of wanting, the fear of not having enough, right? Or simply his love of money. He loved having stuff. And we look at that and go, whew, repentance, listen. I read an article the other day, and I'm going to, this may step on your toes a little bit, but this article is told like the greatest detriment to the Christian walk is the sinner's prayer. And his whole point was saying, if that rich young had come to us, we would have led him in the sinner's prayer and he would have walked away never having entered into the kingdom of God. And I went, whoa. Because as Jesus has said, hey, you can't enter my kingdom of God unless you fully repent and bow down in your heart here. And so the first thing producing fruit demands that we repent. We turn away and turn to Jesus in every single area of our lives. Second thing, fruit is a byproduct of connection to Jesus. 
Fruit is the byproduct of our connection to Jesus. Go read John 15. You've all read it. I'm going to read a couple of verses here. Jesus speaks in verse 4 and says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you produce fruit unless you abide or are inseparable with me. Right? You, like, if I take a branch and I cut the branch off, what does it do? It just crumbles up and becomes great firewood. But if I cut off the, the branch over here, the, the tree's still fine. It still continues to grow. So a branch is dependent upon the tree. The, the branch is dependent upon the vine. And so the picture Jesus is getting at here is this. You can't produce fruit. Only Jesus can produce fruit. And when I connect myself to him in relationship as an intentional pursuit of my life, then all of a sudden fruit begins to be produced. Because when I connect myself to him, he produces fruit. And so earlier I said, Jesus demands fruit, but you can't produce it. But he said, oh my gosh, guys, it's super simple. Super simple. Just connect with me and you'll become a fruit tree. That's all you got to do. Just as a daily life intentional choice, you connect with me and all of this will begin to be produced. I'm pointing towards the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's about connection. He goes on in verse 5 and says, I am the vine. Crazy kids. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides or dwells in or lives is inseparable with me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. And so we should stop in the moment and go, Again, what type of fruit am I producing? Is that a picture of my lack of connection to Jesus? And he's not trying to beat you up by telling you, he says, guys, guys, I'm divine. Just go, right? Just, just connect and then, boom, fruit tree. Oh, right? That's exactly what it sounds like. No, man, you know, I'm getting us. There's a connect here and fruit begins to be produced. Fruit. Is a byproduct, number three, is a byproduct of delighting in the Lord. Delighting in the Lord. Like you understand the word delight. Think about something you delight in. Like we delight in like in chocolate cake. It's all I can think about, right? Delight in it. I love it. I want to eat it all day long. I can live in it. You know what I'm saying? Like I just delight in chocolate cake. We delight. He says delight in the Lord. Go on in in, in Psalm chapter 1, 1 and 3, in Jeremiah 17, 7 through 9. Two very, very familiar scripture, similar scripture. These two were vital in my own spiritual life. And if this picture of connecting to Jesus, Jeremiah says this, blessed is the man, or you could put person here, blessed is the person who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He or she is like a tree. Listen, you see the imagery here of a tree, right? Uh, Of being a fruit tree. He or she is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not listen and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green it is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit right this idea of, of delighting in this delighting and we see this this, this imagery it's like little language in psalm 1 blessed is the man 
whose walk is, is not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, the word of God, the intimacy with God, and on his law, the word of God, a relationship with God, he meditates day and night. He or she is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he or she does, he or she prospers. I mean, in everything, he or she prospers. Fruit, y'all understand this, is a byproduct of a healthy tree. And healthy trees occur when seeds take root in healthy soil with plenty of sun and clean water. And you understand the imagery. Jesus is the only, only soil, sun, and water that will produce the fruit that we're talking about this morning. Fruit is a byproduct of Jesus. And you will never be able to produce it. And Jesus says, repent, connect, and then delight. And as you do that, you will prosper. Your leaf will not wither. You will produce fruit in season. This is the real story from last week. Because what we're describing, this connection, this is, an, is a level of it is a level of intimacy and relationship that Jesus, I feel like last week, said 90% of vintage people, Steve, do not connect with this reality of relationship with me. Therefore, they can't pray and have this type of life of prayer. Like, I'm listening to Scott, and I just hear that as clear as day. I'm like, oh, my God. But it wasn't like, shame on you. It was like, this is my desire. Like I prayed this week as I pray, and as I as I planned, as I prayed and processed and read, it's like God just birthing this inside of me, Steve. Like this is my desire. I long to awaken people to the type. Listen, you can talk about George Mueller and Reese Howells and the fruit of miracles. Let me tell you something. When you read their story, the thing that's intoxicating is their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the thing you're like, I want that. The miracles are cool. That's awesome, right? Like, that's awesome. But what I want, I want this relationship with Jesus that I walk in confidence every day of my life, that he is for me, not against me, that he is with me, and that he loves me, that he is moving in power. And I don't care about my job. I don't care about my raise. I don't care about my car. I don't care about my schooling. I don't care about anything. All I care about is my relationship with Jesus so that it's so intimate and so rich that everywhere I go, I'm producing fruit and people are eating of it and giving their lives to Jesus, getting saved. They're getting healed. They're getting resurrected from the dead. Beautiful things. That only happen as we devote the fullness and the best part of our being to a relationship with Jesus that floods us with the confidence that he is for us, that he loves us, he is excited about us. Listen, when you read the story, go read Reese Howells, The Intercessor. You get to about page one, two, or three, I can't remember, and Norman Grubb is telling the story. He says, I, I, had, a, I had a meeting one day with a man who knew Reese personally. And he says, i got to tell you the story. He said, in the story, I said, I'm, a, I'm at a, at a, um, like a dinner, some sort of dinner, someone's house, right? And he said, and Reese Howells walks in, and I'm friends with Reese, and, and I begin to make my way over, and he looks at me, walks over, leans in, speaks into my ear, and says, the Holy Spirit is full of jokes if you'll just listen. 
And he leaned back, winked at me, and just walked off with a sparkle of God, right? It's like, duh. He's like, okay, you know? And I read that as a 21-year-old college student at University of Georgia, the Wesley Foundation of Athens. And I'm like, Jesus, anything that's not that, I don't want because I want to know you that way. I want to know you so personally that I find myself in my prayer closet with you, Jesus, just guffaw laughing. It's a really big, like deep from your heart laugh, right? Just guffaw laughing with you, Jesus, and not caring if my roommates are around me, not caring who is around me. I want to just laugh like that. I want to know you so well. Because the fruit of that is amazing. Go read their story, y'all. And be challenged. I jokingly, but very seriously, said the first service, I'm sitting here reading this Reese Howells, I get to chapter three or four in the book, and I was not at the place of life of the greatest acts of obedience in my life. And I'm reading the book going, oh my gosh, I feel so heavy under the weight of God's desire to know me, and I'm in sin. And I have to put the book down, put it down for two months. Because it was so rich, this relationship with Jesus. I'm like, I want that. You know, the, you know, hell on earth is a wasted life not connected to Jesus. And there are some people, there are some people, so don't go, just, just stay with me on this one, like theology-wise. They will say there's no, actually no hell because hell actually is just separation from God and we can live it right now on earth. Like, I don't necessarily fully agree with that, but I do believe it is hell for us to live separated from God on earth, wasting our life. That's what it looks like to be a fruit tree not connected to the vine. That's what Jesus was saying. The last word, one of the last words spoken about, said about a year before George Mueller died, a man came to him, and he was 91 at the time George was. A man came to him. And said, may I ask, may I, may I venture to ask you to give me a word of, of wisdom, a word of special counsel in regard to my own work for God, that I may pass it on to other Christian workers in the great harvest field of souls. I love that. And so, so George is speaking to him and he's thinking about us. And he says this, put yourself and your work into the hands of God. When thinking of any new undertaking ask, is this agreeable to the mind of God? Is it for His glory? If it is not for His glory, it is not for your good. You must have nothing to do with it. Mind that. Can you imagine a 91-year-old man saying, mind that? Hear me, son, right? Mind that. Having settled that a certain course is for the glory of God, begin, in, begin it in his name and continue in it to the end. Undertake it in prayer and faith and never give up. See, all of us, we are workers in the field of God who have to produce fruit that people can eat so that they won't perish separated from God. Like I said, you could go tell this same story to your kids. This is not new. It's not rocket science. It's not even something that you've probably heard a thousand, you've probably heard a thousand times. 
And God would speak back and say, are you abiding in me? Are you inseparable? Are you, have you repented? Are you living in that place? Have you connected to me? And are you delighting in me? And I would say, God, that's your heart. That's what we long for. It's what we want. Make us dissatisfied apart from anything else. Invite the team to come forward and worship. To invite.